Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So have you ever kind of been wandering around the globe and figuring things out, and suddenly your paths cross with someone and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. And then as you start to interact, and whether that be through Instagram posts or an actual conversation, or you just happen to have an idea, you realize, we should really be doing something together. Well, that's what's happened. And I'm Rick Clemens from Life Uncloseted. And I'm Angela Briones. I'm from the podcast, They Can't All Be Betty. And we're both talking about LGBTQ queer stuff going on in our queer world. And we're going to just go explore today, like some of the stuff that you may have never thought might could happen in your LGBTQ life. And Angela, I'm so excited that we did. We kind of stumbled across (laughs) each other, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. We have a mutual connection with mm-hmm. with Chris Tompkins, who was on my podcast, and he was on your podcast a few times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris is a friend of mine from quite a few years now, and um, then I saw that you had him on your podcast, and mm-hmm. we were working towards having him on my podcast for his new book, and um, suddenly I'm like, hey, there's another queer podcaster out there that I think I should talk to and see what we can do, or at least just say, hey, I'm, I'm a fan and all that sort of stuff. And suddenly it was like, here we are today actually recording this podcast. So, um, right. so I'm just curious, and we, we're going to just kind of explore things, but I'm curious what brought you to, to doing your podcast, because I'm always curious to hear that from other podcasters. Yeah. You know, it's funny because this was a story I wanted to tell like 20 plus years ago when I was first coming out to myself, you know, how you have that phase where you're coming out to yourself before you come out to other people. Mm -hmm. And that was around the time that Ellen DeGeneres was coming out on television. Right. And so then shortly thereafter, she has her show, but in between those two things, there's that tumultuous gap of her show ending and her, her talk show beginning, but there's that, that gap of what's going to happen in between these two moments. And when her talk show starts, I remember seeing her mom, Betty DeGeneres in the audience. And she was just like, you know, just excited for, for Ellen and happy for her. And just, I remember seeing that moment and thinking, I really want my mom to be like that. I want my mom to be like Betty. And during that time, or I think shortly before Betty DeGeneres had her book come out, it was love Ellen And in that book, she talked about how she wasn't always that person, that person who was like excited and happy about her child being gay. That was a journey. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to explore that from, because I knew my mom was going to be on that same journey. I was on a journey. She was going to be on the same journey, you know, as coming out to herself as the parent of an LGBTQ child. And I really wanted to talk about that because I was like, the more we don't talk about that, we're just going to have this dynamic between us that there's going to be this awkwardness all the time. And I'd like us to get to the point to where Ellen and Betty are. Mm. (laughs) And that was my goal. But honestly, I didn't have, I didn't have this conversation, even though it was 20 plus years ago that I had this idea. I sat on it literally for 20 (laughs) years 
because I just wasn't comfortable with having the conversation myself. So eventually I was like, well, Angela, if you're not comfortable talking about this, how can you expect your mom right. to be comfortable talking about this with you? And maybe we just need to rip the banding off bandaid off and let's do that. But I will say in between now and then, thankfully there have been a lot of conversations that have happened, um, you know, in television media, et cetera. I mean, I'm really happy to see how many people are coming out and excited that I think in the near future, it's not going to be a coming out, like coming out's not going to be mm -hmm. a thing. God, I hope so. I I've always said it. The day that I don't have to coach somebody through a coming out journey will be one of the happiest days of my life. Of course, I'll also be unemployed yeah. by that point, but um, <laughs> now I'll be coaching other people, but it, it is interesting to like see that. And, you know, in my world, it wasn't as easy. My parents were not accepting. They weren't accepting either time. I came out when I was 19 and went back in the closet due to some pressures and some religious beliefs and all that sort of stuff. And then when I did finally come out at 36, after being in a heterosexual relationship and having two beautiful little girls, um, it was, nope, not going to accept you. And I was kind of like, well, don't really care. You, you shoved me back in the closet once, didn't work, it never did work. But the moment I went back in the closet, I, I knew I was who I was. But I also was like, okay, well, we'll just kind of see, maybe something will change. And I did love my wife. I fell in love with her. And it was never like, oh, God, I can't be with a woman. Um, but it wasn't the right match, period. You know, right. and right. um it was tough. I mean, the conversations now are much better and my parents are ex accepting for the majority of the time. Every once in a while, they'll let something slip. That's like, okay, there we go. There it is again. Um, but they're also mm -hmm. of an age at this point. Um, my dad's 78. My mom is 76 where I think they're just like, let's just get through life. Um, I know they still have their own perspectives around stuff, but um, it doesn't come up that often. And um, I agree with you. I wish more people could embrace and have these conversations because this isn't by any stretch of the imagination. This isn't done. It's not over. It's still things that, you know, people contend with, whether you're midlife coming out or young kid coming out and um, makes it tough. So I know for me, people say, oh, but it's so much better. And, and sometimes I just want to slap the shit out of them and go, <laughs> Well, that's nice that you see it that way. That's not exactly, I mean, it is better. I'm not going to say it's not, but there's so far yet to go, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I do think that age absolutely matters mm -hmm. because on my podcast, um, I interviewed two parents whose child wanted a coming out party mm -hmm. and he's 10 years old and he, and in 2020, he wanted a coming out party. So the pandemic kind of put, uh, you know, the brakes on that. But they were open to it and they were accepting of it and, and embraced it. And they're a Hispanic family and I'm Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing just pleasantly surprised me. But at the same time, I was just, you know, I was like, I can't imagine what that must be like. Mm -mm. And I'm 47. And I mean, I'm like, I want a coming out party now. You know, this is great. But let me tell you, this week is his coming out party. And I was, I was happily, I was luckily or lucky to be invited to that party. That's awesome. And I'm really excited. I'm like, this 10 year old kid is going to have a coming out party. And I can't even imagine what that's like. 
you know? Yes. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, <clears throat> right wingers who just rolled over pre their graves and in their <laughs> graves that there's <laughs> such a thing as coming out parties for 10 year olds. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, that is, it is, it's a powerful space. And, and one of the things that I've noticed recently is, and maybe it's just because of where we are, especially in the world, but especially in, you know, the United States where social activism is such a flashpoint right now, but people are activated or people are woke, whatever you want to call it. I don't mm -hmm. think people are to the point where they're like, I'm no longer going to just sit on the sidelines. I think they're like, nope, if we're going to be this divided, then I'm going to go be myself and be divided and stand for what I want. And I'm not saying everybody, but I think there is an energy now around like, nope, you don't get, you don't get to walk on me this way. And um, not that I think it's a hundred percent good for who we are as humanity. Cause I wish we could like not have the flashpoints, but I think we're going through a consciousness thing right now. And um, I wish it was better for some of the people who are coming out because I have clients who are like, have gotten to the point where I think, okay, we're almost there. We're almost there. Then they turn around and walk back in. And, and as a coach, not my job to like, Hey, what the hell are you mm -hmm. doing? You know? It's more, I support them for where they are. And um, I know in your world, you have lots of people who followed you and latched on to the podcast and they hear the stories. What is one of the most heart-wrenching stories that you feel like you've gone through as a podcaster? Well, you know, what's funny, it's the thing that's kind of, kind of slowing the podcast down and possibly stopping it or pausing it. I know I've talked to you about that a mm -hmm. little bit and one of the biggest things that has caused that it's something that's happened to me. It's something that I've experienced is suddenly I realized as I'm talking to different, you know, my whole thing was I wanted to talk to allies and parents who were Betty mm -hmm. essentially, right. Who were their children's cheerleader and who supported them no matter what, and who had unconditional love. That was the main thing have unconditional love. And then suddenly I was realizing that I was really angry <laughs> because I was like, why am I celebrating the fact that parents should automatically have unconditional love, period? Right. So I started getting really angry thinking, I'm trying to inspire people to basically be good human beings and be good parents mm -hmm. and to not start with conditions before their child is even born or comes into their lives. And that made me really angry. Mm. <laughs> and that's something that I'm kind of working through right yep. now. Yep. And that is something that I've found you know? too, as I have done, you know, 400 plus episodes at this point on this podcast. And it's interesting to see the flashpoints that comes up for me when I, when I interview somebody and I hear that, you know, well, but you know, it's all, you know, it's all relative. It's all good and everything. I'm like, no, let's not, let's not put this in that space. That sort of stuff like pushes my button. Or when I interview someone and they're like, and I actually have somebody coming up, I'm getting ready to interview who comes from the military. And even as somebody who's out of the military, well beyond don't ask, don't tell, who has agreed to talk about how much discrimination they face in the post-military world in situations where like they're at a VA hospital or something and they you know, talk about being an out vet and, oh, the 
some of the stories that I've already heard before we even been on the air, it just, it breaks my heart, you know, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, not that I want to like, Oh, what, well, there's more layers of breaking because of this or whatever, but you know, this is a person who served our country and went through the don't ask, don't tell years and is beyond that. And yet goes to a government service oriented facility and still gets discriminated against. It's just, it's just so frustrating to say the very least. But um, I know for me, one of the things that also can be a real surprise is when you hear something from someone within our own community and then you're like, Hmm, that's kind of interesting that they had those kind of reactions. So um, you had asked me before we came on the air about something And I think it's important for both of our listeners, but specifically for yours, since you deal with a lot of parents, to kind of hear the story you wanted to ask me about. So um, I'm going to let you take over here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I was really interested in the fact that you came out later in life. And like you said, you said you came out of the closet, went back into the closet, came out of the closet later. Mm -hmm. You were married to a woman. You have two children. Is that yep. right? Two, two daughters. Yep. Two daughters. And, and I heard you say on a podcast that on one of your podcasts that you were, you didn't take it well that one of them had said that they were in a same sex relationship at one point in time or something like that. And you actually didn't, you didn't take it very well. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I didn't. And wasn't one of my finer moments. <laughs> It did become my very first article that I wrote for Huffington Post Gay Voices, but um, it it shows how much the ingrained internalized homophobia was in my own self. And the thing that happened in that moment is when my daughter said, oh, I'm dating this person. And I was like, oh my God, she's dating this girl. All I heard in my own head was my parents very hateful words to me. You're going to ruin your daughter's lives and you're going to make them as big of a sinner as you are. Had nothing to do with my kid. And actually it had nothing to do with that. She was exploring herself and dating another girl. It had everything to do with me. Yet as someone who coaches a lot of people through the closet doors and helps them through that, I, I could have, I could have at the time that I wasn't, I was barely into coaching. Now I look back at that and I go, you should have kicked yourself in the ass right there, Rick, because <laughs> you coach people about this, that this has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the person who's saying it. And my daughter was very upset, rightfully so. And when we finally worked through it over the next 48 hours, I just was so self-loathing by the time it was all over. Like, oh my God, you were just your own freaking parents in that moment, Rick. How can you? How can you as a guy who struggled through two coming outs to finally own it and say, you know what? This is who I am. And then turn your back on your own child in that way. It was a huge life lesson. And what's interesting is I still, I still have those moments, Angela. 
but they're not so much around sexuality. I think that was the first one. I'm like, okay, we all know we're just like our parents, so to speak. It helped me really start to see that. Does and, any of it? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You mentioned the internalized homophobia, but is it is it only that, or is it is any part of it also just general fear for your child going through any sort of discrimination you faced, or anything? No, like that? because I feel like I feel like we really worked hard on that through their lives. Yet what's interesting is now that, you know, they're grown and you get around and you start having, when you're grown and your kids are grown and you get, have those moments where you're sitting around drinking wine, a whole lot of stuff starts to come out. Uh, and I, re I remember the night that we we're having some conversations, some cocktails and, and my youngest one said, well, pff, yeah, I remember when my, you know, my sister told me not to say anything about having gay dads at school because she didn't want to have any problems. I'm like, when did, when did this happen? Why, why did, you know, why didn't something, somebody say something to me in the moment that this was happening for her and, and both of them have explored their sexuality in numerous ways. I wasn't ever really afraid for them because there was this interesting thing of I've raised them really well. I've raised them to be who they are. I've raised them to like stand up for who you are and, and not let anybody bully you around. And I, and I've, I've seen that manifest just in how they show up in the world. Not like they're carrying around boxing gloves, but they're both very strong, independent, um, have their own mind women. And so to hear some of this stuff start to show up, I'm like, Oh, wow. Maybe I did fail some as a parent. Not that I think I'm perfect, but Maybe I needed to be a little more cognizant at times of, hey, this is, I thought I was doing all the right thing every year walking into the school and, you know, the beginning, especially in elementary school, not so much middle school or other places, but definitely elementary school. Like, hey, I just need you to know, here's the situation. We're going to show up as a family sometime. And sometimes they're going to be like, hey, dad, hey, dad. And, you know, I wanted the teachers to be prepared. And I'm really glad I did some of that. And a little bit in middle school, too, but not so much. By the time we got to high school, I was like, they're on their own. They're surrounded by queer kids. They're, they're good. You know, there was other kids in high school who had queer parents. But it was definitely a moment where I don't say I wish I could redo it because it was like a pivotal moment in so many ways, but it opened my eyes to watch how you show up in the world. And it's a lesson I still really hold myself accountable to on a daily, weekly basis. Watch how you show up in the world. Cause people are watching. I mean, even, even on the podcast, I know that people are watching. I've gotten some, nasty emails about things I've said and things I've done, especially when I say, well, here's something that bugs me about our own queer community. Oh boy. When I go down those paths, <laughs> I just know I'm opening that doorway, but I really, I shouldn't say I don't care. I'm opening that door because I want to grow myself as well as mm -hmm. I hope I help someone out there in our beautiful queer community or in the world in general, really embrace something that, Oh, I guess if I did be a little more open-minded, if I was a little more accepting, then maybe the world would be more accepting too. Well, I think you touched on something really significant in the sense that you said people are watching, you know, your children are watching you. They're repeating what you're saying. Yep. They're internalizing the messages and that's where the internalized <clears throat> homophobia comes up. And I think it's really, I think 
I hope it's really interesting for the Betty audience to hear that from a gay person Mm -hmm. that, you know, the way we're raised, the messages we're raised with, I mean, we hold on to those things. Absolutely. So it's just a natural response. I mean, we're very much our parents sometimes Mm -hmm. or the people who raised us, the people who we've grown up with, we're carrying those messages. And I think it's really important for them to hear the fact that, uh, yeah, sometimes I don't want to say we can hate ourselves, but we can hate ourselves, meaning we got those messages from somewhere Mm -hmm. and we carry that and it just comes out unexpectedly. And then we have to work through it, you know, because it's like, obviously I don't hate myself. Where did that come from? And I'm sure, I mean, what was the work like behind that for you? It was pretty, it was pretty deep. It was really, really deep because from a very, well, from a very young age, I knew there was something different. I was actually surrounded by a gay influence in my life. Um, My dad's oldest brother was gay, but he was the accepted in the family, but talked about behind his back guy. And and we had a big family. I mean, my dad's family was six kids, I guess. And by the time all the grandkids were around, when we had a family reunion, it it required we rent a community hall to do everything. Like Christmas was always, we go to the community hall and there were tables for each family's gifts to get put on. And, you know, we needed the big kitchen at the community hall to make meals. And I mean, it was if, if everybody was there, it was easily 50, 60, 70 people for a family get together. And my uncle and his partner were always part of the equation. They were also the, the people that everybody talked about, all the fabulousness of who they were. They were the A-list gays in San Francisco. Um, they, were, they were definitely acquainted with Harvey Milk and in that group. And, um, which didn't mean anything to me at the time. I'm like, okay, so what, what, I don't know what this means, but the moment their backs were turned, so to speak, they were the, you know, made fun of and lighten the pants and fairies and everything, everything. And so those messages were like right right there, you know? And as I started to understand things and through my own physical, um, awakening by somebody older, um, it all made sense, but yet it also confused me even more. I'm like, okay, well, wow. Yeah. I'm enjoying this with this person, but why is everybody saying this is wrong? And, you know, it never should have happened to me at seven, eight years old, but it was also, oh, okay. Now this makes sense. But every bit of it was hide this, hide this shameful, shameful, hide this shameful, hide, you know, even when this whole thing exploded and this person was exposed and, you know, things came out and then kind of brushed under the rug and then it happened again and brushed under the rug and happened again. It was always hide shame, hide shame, hide shame. And that was a lot to unpack. Ironically, it's interesting, Angela, that that is exactly, not surprisingly, how I live my life. Hide, shame, hide, shame. And I always bring this up and then I get the hate mail. So here we go. Get it again. (laughs) Um, I did love my wife. I met her. I fell in love with her. I knew, but I didn't know strong enough to say, okay, let's get past this. 
and the hide shame practices continued. I would run off and hook up and hide shame, run off, hook up, hide shame. 13 years of unfaithfulness, but the groundwork had been laid. And I think this happens for a lot of people. Suddenly Mm -hmm. that hide shame or whatever it is, it continues to show up and show up and show up. And to get through it, thank God I had a very amazing therapist that helped as we unraveled the marriage. And she ended up continuing to be my therapist. My ex-wife decided she didn't want to work with her because she wasn't getting the answer she wanted. And the therapist kept saying, well, he's not going to change. There's nothing to change. And that's not what my ex wanted to hear. Even though she was accepting of it, she didn't want to hear it. And it's really interesting when you can see these things that like, here was the groundwork, it all got laid, and then you have to go unpack it. You have to go, okay, how do I do this? And there are times even today where I'm like, uh-uh, you can't hide shame this, whatever it might be. And that may not have anything to do with like sexual, you know, cheating or anything like that. It's like, uh uh-uh. mm-hmm. be straightforward, be upfront, this is what it is, you know? Um, and I find that's an interesting space for many of us in the LGBTQ community to have to navigate through because all we've been told is hide shame. You shouldn't be that. Oh my gosh, you're a horrible person because of this, you know? And unfortunately Mm -hmm. for any parents who may be listening, even if, even if you are trying to be the parent who's embracing of your child, I'm going to really, truly invite you as a parent to not just think about what you may be saying to your child about their sexuality, but what you may be saying to your child about anything that makes them feel less than. And I have to bite my tongue all the time right now. There are things that as my kids are, my two girls are 22 and 26. And there are moments where I'm like, wait, don't be your asshole dad. Don't be your asshole dad, you know? Um, And it's hard but I think that's a very powerful message. And our mutual friend, Chris Tompkins, his book, LGBTQ Allies, is there's so much good in there mm-hmm. that is about not just yeah. the LGBTQ, but the, there's so many good messages as I've read through the book and watched him put it together. And I, I knew his initial messages from the Playground article. And I'm like, you don't even have to be on the LGBTQ you know, journey to take some of what he talks about in that book. And apply it to everyday life. No, I agree. I'm curious for you from where you journeyed with your own parent, because I think this is an interesting thing for other parents to hear. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment, not so much, well, I'm going to say a moment. I, I hate it when I ask that kind of question, but was there a, a moment when you realized, okay, I've got I've to give mom some space here. I got to give her space to kind of go through this. No, (laughs) I can honestly say I was so self-absorbed at the time Uh that by the time I figured out, oh, mom is on her own journey. Mm -hmm. It was way later, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I was so worried about how things were going to affect me that I really wasn't giving the empathy to her. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I realized it kind of kind of late. I I came out and like by the time I came out, and it was all very accidental, to be honest. Like she was waiting for me to say it. And this is good for parents too. Like you were talking about, like, um, you know, p- 
parents, be be careful of what messages you're sending your children. Absolutely. I also think that there are parents who suspect their child is gay or LGBTQ and they want to hurry the conversation up. Like they're like, I'm an ally. I'm here for you. And they, they want to roll out the gay red carpet, if you will. You know, somebody has got to have that conversation when they're ready. And I was the day I came out to my mom, I wasn't even ready. She was a a lot more ready than I was because I was honestly living with my ex-girlfriend at the time (laughs) we were living together and it was all very, the writing was on the wall and she was just like, are y'all in a relationship? And that just kind of snowballed this conversation. And by the time I said yes, and by the time everything started going and, and I was like, okay, I've come out, you know, it was very accidental, but I've come out and I feel better. Yay. This is great. And I was just worried about myself. I really didn't think about what she was going through. Mm-hmm. I just knew I wanted her to support me and love me unconditionally. And I was very, very selfish and self, self-absorbed, to be honest. I'm so glad you- Now looking back, I see it differently. I'm so glad you brought up that selfish and self-absorbed piece because- And yes, I'm getting ready to let the hate mouth fly here, folks. (laughs) As much as I love who we are in our gay community, sometimes I feel like we do become selfish and self-absorbed in our world. And we don't make room for others to come join us on the journey when they're ready. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, they're going to say forever till their dying day, they're not going to accept you. That's a whole different piece of the journey. But I did a lot of talks and spent a lot of time with PFLAG people and speaking on stages with PFLAG groups. And that's how I got my speaking career even off the ground. And the overriding thing was always just remember the moment you come out, those around you go in the closet. Some of them are going to go, even the most supportive are going to go in the closet because there's a piece of, okay, who I thought you were, I have to now kind of, (laughs) I have to go figure this out. And sometimes the reactions we get are not because, oh my God, you can't be that. It's, oh my God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to re-engineer my mind. And I feel like at times when we become self-absorbed and selfish, raising my hand, if you all could see me, I'm raising my hand. I didn't give space. I did get to the point with my own parents where I'm done. I'm done. I'm giving you, I've given you more space than you even begin to deserve. Even to the point when my husband and I did get married, I knew they wouldn't come and there was no way they're going to come anyway. Cause we did a spur of the moment. Like, let's just get this done and, you know, move through it. But they didn't even acknowledge that it happened. And typical me, I got really annoyed and pissed off after the fact and I thought, you know what? It's not, it's not, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need them to accept. I am a, at that time would have been 49, 50, somewhere at that point is when we got married. And I'm like, I'm a 50 year old guy. I don't need my parents' approval for anything. I would like it, but I don't need it. Right. And right. this is one of those things where I think all of us can do a little better job of this. Um, even in my book, I talk about this a little bit about that moment of when your others go in the closet, that's part of their journey. You've been hiding in the closet for many, many, many years. You can't just suddenly expect like, okay, I hear happy day and roll out the, you know, coming out red carpet, as you said, and expect everybody to jump in line. 
it would be great if they did, but a lot of times it isn't. And unfortunately, when it doesn't ever go past that, then that's when you, you do have to step up and you have to make some decisions like, okay, can I live with this? And there were many years more than I want to even remember where, I mean, there was a solid year and a half, not too long ago that because of this stuff, and I'm not sure it'll, it'll be the end of it, but a year and a half that I absolutely didn't speak to my father because he pulled something about, you know, me ruining my kid's life. And, you know, he's a very staunch seventh day. Well, in his mind, he's a staunch seventh day Adventist and their belief is homosexuality is a sin. You're going to hell. Da, 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 da. And he pulled that on me a couple of years ago and I'm like, I'm done. And it was actually the most empowering thing I did in a long time in my life. Like I literally cut him out. I hated it because the only way I could communicate with my mother was in little like texts and stuff. And are you free? Can we actually talk? Um, but I realized how much that also gave me room to grow because I had been making space for him for so many years. That's when I finally said the boundary's drawn. You've had your opportunity. And if you want a relationship with me, this is how we're going to play. And if you can't be in a relationship in that way, I'm sorry. Some people will say I'm an asshole. I, I don't see it that way. I've given, I've given, I've given. And I hate to see it happen that way for families, but I also believe we all have the right to be happy. Absolutely. And I can't imagine that you have a child and you start, you know, with your partner, you have this conversation of, you know, I'm so happy we're having a baby, et cetera, et cetera. But I hope they're not, you know, A, B, C, D, E. I mean, the only things that should matter is they're healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. The conditional love, it you don't start life like that. No. So I don't I don't understand how it develops. But it's so interesting that the conditional love starts to show and you know, I don't want to get into this yeah. because we're close to wrapping up here, but I am going to bring this up. The conditional love actually starts, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, even in the gender reveal parties mm -hmm. these days. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. One of my friends who I spoke with on P flag panels, when her and her wife were having their child, um, so they harvested the one partner's mm -hmm. eggs and the other partner got artificially inseminated with the sperm and the eggs and she carried so that there was kind of a mutual experience. Right. I can't tell you how many people said, Oh, do you know what you're having? And I loved her response. We're having a child. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're having a baby because that's the moment. And again, back to our good buddy, Chris, that's the moment yes. the messages start changing. And as much as I guess it's important. And I, I do have a friend who he's trying to have child <laughs> and love, love dearly and adamant that they're going to have a certain sex child. Mm. I'm just kind of like, okay, but, and then they're doing this through foster care. I'm like, but if you were going the normal route, you wouldn't be able to say this, is what we're having, you know? And again, to just the normal messages of what we do as parents and allies and LGBTQ individuals. I love this conversation for no other reason than think yeah. about what you say. Think about how you show up in the world and think about what it would be like if we were to your, your podcast, if we could all be Bettys and just be excited about this is what our child is. This is who our child yeah. is. 
and um, grow from that. Well said. But I'm so glad we got to connect Me on this too. and share this mutual podcast. And I, I don't think we didn't plan any of this, mm-hmm. you know, and just to have a candid conversation and know that there's opportunities to have these conversations. I hope maybe this opens the door for people to have conversations, if nothing else. I hope so. I think I think this was an amazing conversation for my audience specifically to hear your point of view. And I really appreciate you sharing today. I really do. And it's great for my audience because we're always opening the doorways to what does it look to like live your life uncloseted. Maybe living your life uncloseted is about having real, candid, truthful conversations. Yeah. Without lobbying stuff, I had a real quick here. I'll tell this quick story. I had a group meeting um, just the evening before we recording this. And it was with gay men coming out in, uh, in midlife. And we were talking about how to walk away from the, the spouse. How do you walk away from that relationship? How do you, you know, lovingly and care, you know, very caring, unravel it? And one of the guys said, well, one of the things is it's always, you know, we talked about guilt, shame, all this sort of stuff. And he said, one of the things to always remember is it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility to make it better for them. And I got, I I knew where he was going, but I also interviewed a woman a couple of times, um, a Dean, I can't think of Aiden's, I think it's a Dean. uh, What's her last name? Anyway, she has this beautiful book about her journey coming out from her husband who never did admit he was gay and how it helped her open her doors to her truth of who she was as a woman. And uh, wow, how much I'd actually been missing, like having a real relationship and um, Aideen T. Finola, that's her name. And her book is purple. I'll probably think of that too. But um, I loved her, her sentence much better. She said, Rick, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to go do the best with what you can to make this easier for everyone around you. But, and this was her, but as long as they're willing to accept that, mm. if they're not willing to accept it, you, you need to move on. True. And I thought that was so interesting coming from a straight spouse who's like been through what I put mm-hmm. my ex through and I've always held on to, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. It is my responsibility to make this better for my children. It is my responsibility to make it as good as I can for my ex-wife. It's my responsibility to make it good for my parents, provided they're willing to accept what I'm trying to do. If it's unreasonable, and I guess back to our parents that may be listening to this or anybody who's listening to this, if you're being unreasonable in your expectations, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, why aren't they really getting my perspective? I know when I ask myself that question, when I'm being an unreasonable asshole, (laughs) I wake up pretty quickly. Because I'm asking something of somebody that they're not capable of doing or they shouldn't necessarily even have to do. And I think that's a a powerful message to kind of wrap things up and and really hopefully somebody walks away with something what we shared today. I think so. That's a strong message. It's great. Thanks again for being willing to connect and and do this and something tells me we're not done i know i know we'll we'll push pause hey hey hey, life uncloseted family another episode of life uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology but before you do i've got a favor to ask of you 
would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.